We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 668 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, October 2nd, 2023. Hey, we're only three days away from the Commanders' next game. The 2-2 two and two Commanders home to the 0-4 Chicago Bears on Thursday Night Football at 8-15. If only I could say the 3-1 and one Commanders instead of the 2-2 two and two Commanders. Oh, what could have been... For the Menders on Sunday afternoon, they blew a 17-7 second quarter lead, but also overcame a late fourth quarter 31-24 deficit. A wild 34-31 overtime loss at the Philadelphia Eagles. And so the commanders in this 2023 NFL regular season now are 2-2, two and two, as opposed to Three and one. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. In sports and in life, there is the immediate picture and there is the bigger picture. There is the micro and there is the macro. Uh, trust me, uh, coming up on the show, we'll deal with the immediate picture, the micro uh, regarding this overtime loss at the Eagles, including whether head coach Ron Rivera should have gone for two. Uh, what happened? with the commander's defense, uh, that oh-so-bad punt by our ace punter, Tressway, in overtime and more. But I am not going to lose sight of the bigger picture of the macro. Quarterback Sam Howell. Sam, I am. Sam, on Sunday afternoon, was great. He responded in outstanding fashion to the uh, four-interception, nine-sack-taking performance in the 37-3 loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field in Week 3. As upset as you may be about this overtime loss at the Eagles, do not lose sight of what the commander's starting quarterback, what the commander's QB1 did on Sunday afternoon, because what he did was respond like a franchise quarterback. And what what he did might say about what he will be, I cannot emphasize enough. Coming up on the show, in-depth reaction to and analysis of the commander's overtime loss at the Eagles, including key comments 
from the post-game press conferences of Rod Rivera and Sam Howell. Also on the show, uh, I will discuss the ends of the Orioles and Nationals 2023 regular seasons, uh, specifically what mattered from each team's regular season-ending series. The O's over the weekend concluded a four-game split with the Boston Red Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The O's, of course, are headed to the MLB playoffs as the number one seed in the American League. You know, we, over the last few days, uh, did have multiple significant developments uh, with the O's, including some bad news. Uh, the expected, now being official, ace reliever Felix Batista needs Tommy John surgery. Uh, the Nats over the weekend won two or three games at the major league-leading Atlanta Braves to secure a 16-win improvement from the 2022 regular season to the 2023 regular season. And I on the show will talk college football week five, including Maryland's 44-17 home win over Indiana on Saturday, Virginia Tech's 38-21 home win over Pitt on Saturday night, Virginia's 27-24 loss at Boston College on Saturday afternoon in a game in which the Cavaliers blew a 14-0 second quarter lead into 21-7 halftime lead, and Navy's 44-30 home loss to South Florida on Saturday in a game in which the midshipmen blew a 14-0 first quarter lead. Uh, by the way, Goldilocks 3-1 on Saturday, 7-3 now over the last three weeks. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. So much <laughs> feedback on the commander's loss at the Eagles. Tweet from Bob. Sam was impressive versus a very good defense. Unfortunately, the coach showed his team that he didn't believe in it by not going for two and the win. A consistent theme with the one known as Riverboat must be a 1970s or 1980s slow riverboat. So gutless not going for two. Uh, thank you for the tweet, Bob. Tweet from Bailey. This is a loss that you can't be mad at except for the fact that Ron didn't go for two. Uh, thank you for the tweet, Bailey. Tweet from Tony. Sam was great and really clutch. Couldn't ask for more from him against this team. Bears coming up on Thursday night. We should take it. Wasn't expecting the Commanders to win this game at the Eagles. Was hoping that the Commanders would play well. And boy, did they ever. Uh, thank you for the tweet, Tony. Uh, tweet from Albert Lewis. Al Galdi, they got that Terry catch wrong. That was for the game. Thank you for the tweet, Albert. So yes, the catch by receiver Terry McLaurin, that wasn't, but should have been, third offensive snap of overtime, third and five for the Commanders at their 30. Sam Howell threw a gorgeous shotgun pass down the field to Terry near the left sideline. Terry uh, absolutely got his right foot in bounds. The left foot landed on the left arm of Eagle safety, Reed Blankenship with the arm in bounds. The question is whether any part of Terry's left foot hit the field. It was really hard to tell via replay, but if you look at a close-up of the play, and this was posted on Twitter by a good friend of the Al Galdi podcast, Pro Football Focus senior data analyst and Commanders fan Nick Ackridge, who you can follow on Twitter on X at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge. Yeah, it sure looks like the toe of Terry McLaurin's left foot, left cleat, is in bounds. And that should have been a reception. 
Now, this does seem to be a classic case of there not being enough evidence to overturn the play either way. So had the initial ruling been a catch, the play would have stood as a catch. But when you freeze frame it and you zoom in, as Nick did with what he displayed on Twitter, uh, that should have been a catch. Uh, That is a killer. Tweet from Ryan. This offense putting up 31 should be a win every single time if this defense is anything close to what it should be. Thank you for the tweet, Ryan. I agree. Uh, Tweet from Michael. Sad we lost, but we showed something. If we play like this, I don't think that nine or 10 wins and a wild card spot are unrealistic. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Michael. I agree with you. Uh, There are no moral victories in the NFL. Uh, This is something that was said quite a bit after the game on Sunday afternoon. Uh, But there is context. There is perspective. And the commander's overtime loss at the Eagles on Sunday afternoon, much different than that awful blowout loss to the Bills at FedEx Field the previous Sunday afternoon. Each game a loss, of course. Each game counts the same in the standings, of course. But these were two totally different losses in terms of the performance of the quarterback. Much more on him coming up. Well, a man who I know wants better for the Commanders is Dr. George Verghese. Uh, He is a massive Commanders fan. He also is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists, and he and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland provide excellent skin care. Whatever your dermatological needs may be, call 301 396-3401, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a big fan of the Commanders. He's a loyal listener of this podcast, and he and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focus on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you are dealing with allergic reactions, if you're dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers. Call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland at 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you, but call 301-396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skin care, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, thank you to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. Uh, next segment, I will discuss a number 
of the frustrating, aggravating, maddening items from the Commander's 34-31 overtime loss at the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday afternoon. This, of course, was a winnable game that the Commanders did not win the game. Very disappointing. But in the bigger picture, the number one item from this game, from a commander's perspective, is the performance of quarterback Sam Howell. Acknowledging and being excited by how well Sam played on Sunday afternoon is not trying to wave the flag of a moral victory or simply putting on a happy face (laughs) or uh, looking at the glass as half full or being a fanboy or being a victim of Ashburn syndrome or anything like those things. No, acknowledging and being excited by how well Sam played on Sunday afternoon is looking at the bigger picture, is not being a prisoner of the result of the game, is not being some irrational fan who flies off the handle because the team lost the game and has no perspective of what just happened. Here's what just happened. Sam Howell, responded to his atrocious performance in the 37-3 loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field in Week 3 with a great performance in this overtime loss on the road against a team with one of the best defenses in the NFL. Sam Howell now, over five career NFL regular season games, has played very well in three of the games, including two of the last three games, each of which was on the road. The sample size of Sam Howell as an NFL quarterback, of course, still is small. Uh, Nothing should be declared with certainty. But in the bigger picture, the commanders having a franchise quarterback matters so much more than any individual game result this season. And the truth is that Sam in this overtime loss at the Eagles responded to a bad performance the way that you would expect a franchise quarterback to respond. Sam in this overtime loss at the Eagles on Sunday afternoon went 29 of 41 for 290 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. Uh, He did take five sacks, although boy, he did not seem to have much of a chance on a good number of those sacks, but we shall see what the All-22 reveals. But Sam also had six carries for 40 yards. He quarterbacked a commander's team that scored 31 points and went 8 of 17 on third downs, despite playing one of the best defenses in the NFL. Here was Commander's head coach Rod Rivera very early in his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's insider John Keim of ESPN. Well, uh, first of all, it was a hell of a performance by Sam. He bounced back. You know, he learned from last week. He grew and he got better. And uh, it was reflected in the way he played. It was reflective of the way he, he led our offense. There are a lot of positive things that we're going to take from that. That's, that's a plus. So how important was it to see that kind of an effort? That's growth. That, that's what we talked about. I think it was Friday you guys asked the questions. And, and that, that's what you're looking for is that kind of growth. That You do something, you make some mistakes, you come back and you play your ass off. Yeah. Well, yeah, (laughs) is right, okay? When Ron Rivera said that, yeah, uh, he's right. Ron Rivera, as you'll hear, was in a rather emotional, almost uh, hyper state during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon, but not necessarily in a bad way. 
Uh, he seemed to have conflicting emotions, you know, negative emotions because the team lost, but positive emotions because Sam Howell played so well. Here was Sam during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on bouncing back from the loss to the Bills with what he did in this overtime loss at the Eagles. Yeah, well, I, th- I think I did some good things out there. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we didn't win. Um, and I think it's my job to win football games for this organization and for this team. And we didn't do that today. Um, and so we're, we'll go back this week. Got a short week um, playing on Thursday night. And we're excited for that opportunity. Uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, I don't believe in moral victories or anything like that. You know, we, we lost the game that we felt like we should have won. Perfect answer by Sam Howell. There are no moral victories in the NFL. You do not celebrate losing in the NFL. At the same time, uh, it's okay for people like us, fans and members of the media, to point out what truly matters in the bigger picture. And and this overtime loss at the Eagles on Sunday afternoon, what truly mattered for the commanders in the bigger picture was the performance of Sam Howell. How about what this guy did on the commander's ninth offensive drive? It started at the commander's 36 with the commander's trailing 31-24 with one minute, 36 seconds left in the fourth quarter. This is what you call the big spot. And Sam came through in the big spot. He was masterful on this drive during which he went six of nine for 71 yards and a touchdown. He did also take a sack on the drive, but the eighth snap of the drive. On a third and two for the Commanders at the Eagles 21, Sam with 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter, and the Commanders having no timeouts left, fired an 11-yard shotgun completion to receiver Terry McLaurin near the right sideline, and Terry was able to get out of bounds. You know, it looked like Sam may have actually called this play on his own as the clock was ticking down. Hard to say But he made a gesture that clearly signaled something uh, to the other 10 Commanders players on the field. And then two snaps later, the 10th snap of the drive, on a second and goal for the Commanders at the 10, Sam, a 10-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Jahan Dodson, who made a nice leaping catch in the end zone with no time left in the fourth quarter. What a play. What a moment. Sam Howell on this drive, accurate, poised, clutch. This was something. Here was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on this game-tying drive, quarterbacked by Sam Howell. You know, we've had a couple of drives like that this year already. Um, but to do it against that team, uh, that, that, that to me was very impressive. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, there's, there's no um, more victories. You know, but uh, we're going to learn from it, and and I think this is going to help us going forward. Yeah, Ron Rivera caught himself right there. Did not want to sound like he was happy about a loss. There are no moral victories. Uh, We know, (laughs) but it's okay to be happy about how well Sam Howell played. Uh, Sam made multiple big plays on the commander's seventh offensive drive. This was an 11-play 75-yard drive that consumed 6 minutes 14 seconds off the clock resulted in running back Brian Robinson Jr.'s fourth quarter second and one 15-yard under center handoff touchdown run. The third snap of the drive on a third and two for the Commanders at their 33. Sam had a 70-yard shotgun completion to running back Antonio Gibson on a broken play as Sam 
made the throw while running to his right. The sixth snap of the drive on a third and four for the Commanders at their 46. Sam did a great job of evading pressure for a four-yard shotgun scramble, and he then drew a 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty by safety and uh, Virginia Tech product Terrell Edmonds. The 10th snap of the drive on a third and six for the Commanders at the Eagles 31. Sam, in the midst of a collapsing pocket, had a seven-yard shotgun completion to receiver Curtis Samuel. Sam had three chunk yardage completions on the commander's first offensive drive. Opening drop of the game, 14 plays, 75 yards, consumed seven minutes, eight seconds off the clock, resulted in Curtis Samuel's first quarter, second and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run on a great play call by commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, who, by the way, I thought had a very nice game on Sunday afternoon. But the second snap of this drive on a second and nine for the commanders at their 20 six Sam a 15 yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin on a quick slant across the middle I love that third snap of the drive and a first and 10 for the commanders at their 41 Sam a 14 yard shotgun play action completion to Terry on a back shoulder throw near the left sideline the fifth snap of the drive on a second and four for the commanders at the Eagles 39 Sam a 15 yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel. Sam had two chunk yardage completions on the commander's second offensive drive. Uh, this was a seven-play, 75-yard drive that resulted in the Terry McLaurin early second quarter fumble recovery in the end zone for a touchdown as on a second and goal for the commanders at the one, Brian Robinson Jr. had a fumble on a shotgun handoff run for no gain, and the ball went right into the end zone where, thankfully, Terry made the recovery. But the fourth snap of the drive, the second snap of the second quarter, third and four for the commanders at their 41. Sam, a 24-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin, who was wide open. Sam did a really nice job of working through his progressions. The sixth snap of the drive on a first and five for the commanders at the Eagles 30. Sam stood strong in a collapsing pocket and delivered a 27-yard shotgun completion to tight end Logan Thomas, who via a hit took a two-yard unnecessary roughness penalty uh, from Terrell Edmonds. Hated seeing Logan take that hit given that he in this game returned from a one-game absence caused by a concussion that he suffered in the Commander's 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos in Week 2, but a big play right there. Uh, Sam had two big completions on the Commander's fourth offensive drive, resulted in kicker Joey Sly's late second quarter 27-yard field goal, the first snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Commanders at their 26. Sam had a nine-yard shotgun completion to Jahan Dodson on a shotgun sprint out throw. The fifth snap of the drive on a third and four for the Commanders at their 44. Sam had a 35-yard shotgun completion to receiver Diami Brown, who was wide open on the right side. And Sam had a big scramble on the commander's eighth offensive drive. Now, the drive did result in a fourth quarter punt, but the third snap of the drive on a third and seven for the commanders at their 10, Sam had a clutch 20-yard shotgun scramble up the middle. Now, it is true that Sam on Sunday afternoon over the first two quarters was productive in a way that he was not over the final two quarters in overtime. Sam, over the first two quarters, 13 of 17 for 161 yards. Sam, over the final two quarters in overtime, 16 of 24 for 129 yards, although included in that mix was the big touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson. But Sam, over the first two quarters, averaged 9.47 yards per pass attempt. He, over the final two quarters in overtime, averaged 5.38 yards per pass attempt. Uh, also, we had that near pick 
Uh, Sam Howell in the loss to the Bills, of course, through four interceptions. He, in this overtime loss at the Eagles, committed no turnovers, although he did nearly throw an end zone interception. That drive that resulted in the Terry McLaurin early second quarter fumble recovery in the end zone for a touchdown, the seventh snap of the drive on a first and goal for the commanders at the one, Sam had a near pick on a shotgun pass in which he floated a 50-50 ball into the end zone while falling backwards off a quarterback hit by edge defender Brandon Graham, who did also tip the ball. A very dangerous throw uh, that could have resulted in disaster for Sam Howell. And then the other big negative for Sam in this game was that he did take five sacks. Uh, His total of sacks taken in this regular season now up to 24 over four games. That is a way too high number of sacks taken. But like I said earlier, man, it sure seemed like there was not a lot that Sam could do on a good number of these sacks. I mean, Commander's third offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out. The third snap of the drive on a third and eight for the Commanders at their 23. Sam took a sack from linebacker Nicholas Morrow. Get used to that name uh, for an eight-yard loss as the Eagles rushed six in the pocket quickly collapsed. Uh, The commander's sixth offensive drive resulted in a third quarter punt, the sixth snap of the drive on a third and four for the commanders at their 42. Sam took a sack uh, from Nicholas Morrow for a five-yard loss as interior defensive lineman Fletcher Cox created the initial pressure by plowing through right guard Samuel Cosby. Also on the play, by the way, a holding penalty on right tackle Andrew Wiley that was declined. The sack that you hated to see was that red zone sack on which Sam got tripped up. Uh, The commander's fourth offensive drive resulted in the Joey Sly late second quarter 27-yard field goal. The ninth snap of the drive on a first and goal for the commanders at the 10. Sam took a sack from edge defender Josh Sweat for a five-yard loss as Sam tripped in trying to scramble. He got tripped by the uh, right foot of left tackle Charles Leno Jr. But overall, Sam Howell played really well. He had the horrible performance in the loss to the Bills. Then remember, he this past Wednesday morning at his weekly pre-practice press conference killed it. I talked about this on this past Thursday show, episode 666. Uh, but Sam at the presser this past Wednesday morning demonstrated accountability demonstrated maturity, demonstrated leadership. And, you know, these were all words, of course, and words don't matter nearly as much as actions. Uh, But these were the words of someone who seemed to have a proper and healthy comprehension of what happened in that loss to the Bills. And sure enough, Sam, in this overtime loss at the Eagles, bounced back. Rod Rivera, during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on if this performance by Sam Howell is an example of him learning from his mistakes. That's what we talked about. We talked about him growing, showing, growing, showing some growth. And um, that was, you know, that, that's, that's what we believe he's capable of. We really do. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of confidence in him, and, and he's been paying us back. I know last week was a tough one. This was a good bounce back. But, again, there, there still is no moral victories when you play hard like this and, and you put yourself in position, you, you got to capitalize. But again, I'm not taking anything away from what Coach Sirianni and his, his, his team did. No moral victories. <laughs> Take a shot every time you, after this game on Sunday afternoon, heard some version of that declaration. No moral victories. Take a shot. Uh, we get that. We got that. Here is some more of Sam Howell from his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon. 
Yeah, it's a tough loss for us. Um, definitely a game that we felt like we should have won and definitely were capable of winning. Um, but I'm proud of the guys and how we fought till the end um, and gave ourselves a chance to take it to overtime. Um, obviously, I think we got to do got to do a better job. If you get the ball first in overtime, it's our job as an offense to go down and score. Um, we didn't do that, and we were, we were really close. You know, we thought Terry had that catch. Um, I could I could have got out a little quicker and gave him some more room. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of things we can do better. Um, but it was good to see. I mean, Phil, credit to Philly. You know, they're one of the better teams in this league, and I think we showed a lot of people that we we're right there. Um, we just got to get over the hump, and we feel like we can play a lot better. And that's the good thing because um, we're really close against a good team and we feel like we can play better. And that is the exact right attitude. Uh, just like Nova Fireplace and Stove is the exact right company for your fireplace, stove, and chimney needs. Uh, Nova Fireplace and Stove is outstanding. It handles gas fireplace sales service and installation, handles gas, electric, and wood stoves, and handles chimney cleaning and repair. If you live in Northern Virginia, stay warm and upgrade the feel and value of your home with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Nova Fireplace and Stove, it has been around for more than 20 years. It is run by massive Commanders fans. It, it has outstanding professionals. Whatever the work that you need done requires, Nova Fireplace and Stove has. Master gas fitter, master electrician, class A contractor, licensed chimney inspector. And because of this, Nova Fireplace and Stove can complete your project without the need for any subcontractors. And Nova Fireplace and Stove can pull all of the necessary county permits for the work that is being done. Additionally, Nova Fireplace and Stove can perform fireplace and chimney safety inspections. See for yourself the work that Nova Fireplace and Stove can do. It has a showroom in Woodbridge, Virginia, and has a terrific website, Nova fireplaceandstove.com and take advantage of the special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Join the Nova Fireplace and Stove family and experience the fireplace service and care that you deserve. Call 571 571- 513-3803. That's 571-513-3803. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, Washington on Sunday afternoon had a chance to win at the Philadelphia Eagles for a third time in four seasons, had a chance for Washington's first start of three and one or better over the first four games of a regular season since 2011. But uh, alas, those things were uh, not to be a 34-31 overtime loss at the Eagles to fall to two and two. Uh, What about not going for two? So quarterback Sam Howell connected on the second and goal, 10-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Jahan Dodson with no time left in the fourth quarter to cut the commander's deficit to 31-30. But head coach Ron Rivera, whose nickname is Riverboat Ron, (laughs) uh, had kicker Joey Sly attempt the extra point, which he made 
uh, as opposed to going for two and the win. This was Ron during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on if he considered going for two after that Sam Howell touchdown pass to Jahan Dotson. Um, yeah, but you know what? That, that, those, those guys, you know, that, they were they were gassed. They, they really were. I mean, it was a long ass drive. They, they were hurrying. They're hustling. Um, you know, uh, I really thought you know we we got we had the chance. You know, and and, and that's too bad. Yeah, it is too bad. Uh, I have thought a lot about Ron Rivera not going for two. And, you know, I will concede this. We don't have all of the information, okay? But generally speaking, a team in the commander's predicament should go for two and the win. Uh, The commanders are the lesser talented team when compared to the Eagles. The idea is to shorten the game not lengthen the game. Because the longer that the game goes, the more likely it is that the more talented team will win, right? That the cream will rise to the top. Additionally, just think about this logically, okay? What's easier? Getting two yards to get the two points and the win or going to overtime, hoping to win a coin toss and then hoping to drive down the field to score a touchdown or kick a field goal and then stop the Eagles from scoring a touchdown. Like, think about all of the things that you have to do to win the game at overtime versus what you would have to do to win the game in regulation. Uh, And what you would have to do to win the game in regulation is get a mere two yards. Additionally, there's this. The commander's defense did not play well in this game. So trusting the defense to get a stop in overtime was not the way to be thinking. I mean, I guess you could say the commander's defense was off the field for a good chunk of the fourth quarter. So maybe Ron Rivera felt like the defense was well rested. But again, the defense did not play well in this game. Now, Ron, in that cut that I just played for you, talked about the commander's offense being out of gas. I guess that's something that should enter into your decision-making as a head coach in this spot, okay? Like, again, we don't necessarily have all of the information here, but, you know, if we're going to play this game of the commander's offense was gassed, well, shouldn't the Eagles' defense also have been gassed? Uh, You know, that was an intense drive uh, by which the commanders tied the game at the end of regulation, 10 plays, 64 yards in just one minute, 43 seconds of game time. But unless the Eagles defense has vastly superior cardio to the commander's offense, then uh, if the commander's offense was tired, then I would think that the Eagles defense uh, was tired at that point as well. So, you know, I'm willing to say that we don't have all of the information, but just thinking about this and knowing what we know, uh, I think that Ron should have gone for two in that spot. I, again, I, you know, I come back to this. What's easier, getting two yards for the two points to win the game or having to jump through all of the various hoops you have to jump through in order to win the game in overtime? What is extremely disappointing about this overtime loss at the Eagles is how the commander's defense played. Now, as I have said, in the current NFL, even good defenses give stuff up. Even good defenses get got. So you have to adjust your expectations for even what you consider to be a really good defense. But, you know, what happened with the commander's defense on Sunday afternoon was beyond an acceptable level of getting God. Uh, It wasn't all bad from the commander's defense, but there was way too much bad. The commanders allowed the Eagles to score 34 points. Don't look now, but the commanders now have allowed each 
of their last three opponents to score at least 33 points. You had the 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos in Week 2. You had the 37-3 loss to the Buffalo Bills at FedEx Field in Week 3. And now we have the 34-31 overtime loss at the Eagles in Week 4. Each of the Commanders' last three opponents has scored at least 33 points. That's not what we were supposed to be getting from this Commander's defense this season. Uh, The Commanders on Sunday afternoon generated no takeaways. The Commanders got carved up by Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts, who went 25-37 for 319 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. And he had nine carries for 34 yards, although 24 of those yards came on one run. But that was a painful run, a fourth quarter, first and 10, 24-yard pistol play-action scramble. Uh, Also, the Eagles clearly picked on corner Emmanuel Forbes Jr. Forbes in this game got taken to school by receiver A.J. Brown. The Eagles' ninth offensive drive happened in the fourth quarter. The sixth snap of the drive, the third snap after the second half, two-minute warning on a second and four for the Eagles at the Commander's 28. Forbes got beat by A.J. Brown on a late fourth quarter, 28-yard shotgun touchdown bomb by Jalen Hurts to Brown, uh, who then got hit with a 15-yard taunting penalty for taunting Forbes. But yet the Eagles' sixth offensive drive happened in the third quarter, the fifth snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Eagles at their 41. The Commanders gave up a 59-yard shotgun touchdown pass by Jalen Hurts to A.J. Brown, who beat Emmanuel Forbes, uh, and then ran right through an attempted arm tackle by safety Derek Forrest. And also on the play was a roughing the passer penalty by edge defender Montez Sweat. That penalty allowed for the Eagles to have a two-point conversion attempt at the Commander's one, as opposed to the Commander's two, and running back Kenneth Gainwell ran into the end zone via a shotgun handoff run for a 21-17 Eagles lead. This was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on the performance of the Commander's defense in this overtime loss at the Eagles. I thought we had our moments. I did. You know, they, they, they picked on the young guy today. Um, I expect him to bounce back next week. I do. You know, our quarterback bounced back. He had a rough day last week. The young man had a rough day. Hopefully he learns. He's a young guy. Experience. It's a tough teacher. But that's the kind of stuff he needs. He needs to understand how important it is to do his job the way it's being coached. The young man, of course, is Emmanuel Forbes Jr., and that was an interesting final line by Ron Rivera on Forbes. Quote, he needs to understand how important it is to do his job the way it's being coached, end quote, as in he isn't doing his job the way it's being coached. Remember, Ron, in his post-practice press conference this past Wednesday afternoon, gave a rather notable answer when asked what has stood out to him about Emmanuel Forbes so far. I talked about this on this past Thursday's show, episode 666. Ron was pretty critical of Forbes. Uh, Now, we perhaps know why. We, during Ron Rivera's post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon, had these exchanges between Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times and Ron. For Emmanuel, you stuck by him kind of the whole game. Is yep. that just an experience thing you want yep. him to learn? Absolutely. It's the only way they grow. Be out on the football field, make your mistakes, make your plays, learn, get better. Was there something 
particularly from him that you were seeing them kind of go through over and over? I think it was. They, I think they. They think what they did was they, they took a, an experienced guy and, and and did some things. You know, they they ran that bubble and go and 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 you know he was he 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 guessed. And you've got to be disciplined. You've got to read your keys and and make your place. Yeah, I would expect this Emmanuel Forbes thing uh, to be a thing in the coming days. But also with the Commanders' defense in the overtime loss at the Eagles on Sunday afternoon, penalties. Uh, I mentioned the Montez Sweat penalty. We had the Eagles' first offensive drive, which resulted in running back DeAndre Swift's late first quarter, second and goal, five-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. The eighth snap of the drive on a second and 10 for the Eagles at the Commanders' 43 corner. Benjamin St. Juice committed a 15-yard face mask penalty in trying to tackle DeAndre Swift on a 70-yard reception. The Eagles' sixth offensive drive resulted in the Jalen Hurts third quarter, 59-yard shotgun touchdown pass to A.J. Brown. The second snap of the drive on a second and 10 for the Eagles at their 26. Linebacker Jamin Davis committed a five-yard defensive holding penalty. The Eagles' seventh offensive drive resulted in kicker Jake Elliott's early fourth quarter, 36-yard field goal. The sixth snap of the drive and the fourth to last snap of the third quarter on a third and five for the Eagles at the Commanders' 31. Corner Kendall Fuller committed a five-yard defensive pass interference penalty in covering A.J. Brown. Uh, There was some good for the Commanders' defense in this game. The Commanders did hold the Eagles to just 4-12 on third downs. The Commanders did finish with three sacks and eight quarterback hits. Chase Young did have a sack. When he wasn't in pass coverage, he actually uh, could be effective. The Eagles' third offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out. The second snap of the drive on a second and eight for the Eagles at their 45. Edge defender Chase Young blew through Eagles' left tackle Jordan Mailata for a sack of Jalen Hurts for a five-yard loss. But I mentioned Chase Young in pass coverage. What was up with that one play on which we had Chase Young right by A.J. Brown? Uh, That Eagles' first offensive drive, which resulted in the DeAndre Swift touchdown run, the sixth snap of the drive on a third and eight for the Eagles at their 46. Chase Young, for some reason, was in pass coverage and wound up right near A.J. Brown. And the result was an 11-yard Shotgun completion by Jalen Hurts to Brown. Uh, But another positive for the commander's defense was that it did hold uh, Eagles running backs DeAndre Swift and Kenneth Gainwell to combined 18 carries for just 70 yards. Uh, That does work out to a yards per carry of just 3.89. The commanders in this game stopped the run. Uh, They just did not stop the pass. And this commander's defense is supposed to be better than that. Uh, Another negative. From the commander's overtime loss at the Eagles on Sunday afternoon, the overtime punt by Tressway. Now, look, Tressway has been one of the best punters in the NFL for years. Uh, He, over the years, has blasted so many great punts. I don't want to crush Tressway, but his bad punt in overtime was a killer. Tress had a terrible punt in overtime. The commanders won the coin toss for overtime, but on its opening drive, went three and out. And Tress then, on a fourth and five for the Commanders at their 30, unleashed a terrible 29-yard punt that was downed by edge defender Casey Tuhill at the Eagles' 41. And how did the Eagles win this game? On a Jake Elliott 54-yard field goal in overtime. Uh, That punt that was so bad essentially gifted the Eagles the field position with which it did not take much for the Eagles to get 
into field goal territory. Now, uh, you certainly could say, well, that Tressway punt should have never happened because the snap prior to that punt was the reception by receiver Terry McLaurin that was not ruled as a reception, but should have been ruled as a reception. But, you know, such is life. Tress was brought on to punt, and he did not come through in that spot. Uh, Tressway for the game over five punts averaged 42.6 yards per punt and just 35 net yards per punt. Also, we had two fumbles by commander's running backs. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. had 14 carries for 45 yards, a touchdown and a fumble, and had two receptions for six yards on two targets. He did come up huge over the final two snaps of the commander's seventh offensive drive, which happened in the fourth quarter, was an 11-play, 75-yard drive that consumed six minutes, 14 seconds off the clock. The 11th snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the commanders at the Eagles 24. Robinson had a nine-yard shotgun handoff run. And the next snap, the 12th snap of the drive, second and one for the commanders at the Eagles 15. Robinson, uh, a terrific 15-yard under-center handoff touchdown run on which uh, Eagle safety Reed Blankenship went low uh, and failed on an attempted tackle. Reed wanted no part of uh, hitting Brian Robinson Jr. up high. Uh, but Robinson did have a fumble. Uh, the commander's second offensive drive resulted in Terry McLaurin's early second quarter fumble recovery in the end zone for a touchdown as on a second and goal for the commanders at the one. Robinson had a fumble on a shotgun handoff run for no gain, and the ball went right into the end zone. And then also with a fumble was uh, Mr. Fumble, Antonio Gibson. Uh, he had another fumble. He had six carries for 19 yards and a fumble uh, and had one reception for seven yards on one target. Now, that drive that gave us the Terry McLaurin fumble recovery in the end zone for a touchdown early in the second quarter, uh, the first snap of the drive, the next to last snap of the first quarter was a nice run by Antonio Gibson, first and 10 for the commanders at their 25. Gibson, uh, a 10-yard shotgun handoff run on which he weaved his way through the Eagles' front, uh, but Gibson had a red zone fumble. Uh, the commander's fourth offensive drive resulted in kicker Joey Sly's late second quarter 27-yard field goal, the 10th snap of the drive on a second and goal for the commanders at the 15. Gibson had a fumble on a shotgun toss run as he did not catch the ball cleanly, did recover the ball, and actually ran for eight yards from the spot of the fumble recovery. But yeah, <laughs> another fumble for Antonio Gibson. Uh, lucky bounces for the commanders on these fumbles by Robinson and Gibson. The commanders in this game did benefit from some luck. Certainly did not get the call on the Terry McLaurin reception that wasn't, but should have been a reception. But, you know, the Eagles in this game, a lot of penalties. So the Eagles had 11 accepted penalties for 81 yards. The commanders had seven accepted penalties for 41 yards. This was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon. It's a hell of a football team we played out there, mm -hmm. but I think we had a hell of a football team in this locker room. You know, our guys came and they played their asses off. They, they deserve some credit. Mm -hmm. We're going to learn something from this, but again, that's a hell of a football team we played against. Like I said earlier in the show, Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon was emotional. And so we, during the presser, had these exchanges between Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post and Ron. Is your frustration a sign of, of growth of what you think this team can be? Very much so. I mean, there were some mistakes we made that, 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 that I, I think, you know, that, that we, we, we got to get past it. That, that just a little thing, just a couple more little things, a little more details that, that we have to be a little more good with. 
Because if we are, then, then I mean, you saw us. We played a very good team out there, and we have a chance. But let's start winning. What are those little things? Just details. Details of your job. Details of what you're supposed to do. You know, we all got to be better. You know, we all got to be. We got to see how we can help our guys even more so to give them the opportunity to be successful on that football field. <laughs> yeah. How about that sigh from Ron Rivera in that cut? What'd you make of the sigh? From Ron, just a little thing, just a couple more little things, a little more details that, that, that we have to be a little more <sighs> good with. <laughs> yeah, that was quite the sigh. Uh, Rod Rivera not happy about this overtime loss at the Eagles on Sunday afternoon. Well, I am happy to say that my underdog fantasy high or lower play for the Commanders uh, for Sunday afternoon did hit. Uh, I took Sam Howell to have higher then 14 and a half rushing yards. He had six carries for 40 yards. Uh, Underdog Fantasy is great and is offering a limited time enhanced special offer to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a deposit match of up to $500 for all new customers who sign up with the promo code GALDI. My last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI. I, for this season, am making fantasy football picks for Commander's games in terms of Underdog Fantasy's higher or lower totals. Uh, underdog Fantasy is great. It is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Underdog Fantasy offers pick'em games by which you can win up to 20 times on your money in one day and offers pick'em insurance, which gives you a little wiggle room if you're not as confident in an entry. Uh, And when it comes to season-long fantasy, Underdog Fantasy offers a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be ultra-time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption but keeps the fun and the potential to win money and take advantage of the free money. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $500 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $500, you get $500 for free. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code GALDI. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. Well, the best regular season for the Orioles since 1971 now is complete. The O's in the 2023 regular season ended up going 101-61, and getting to 101 wins in a regular season for the first time since 1971. In addition 
to winning the American League East for the first time since 2014. The O's are the number one seed in the American League playoffs as the team is making its first postseason appearance since 2016. And the O's, as the number one seed in the American League playoffs, have an automatic buy into the divisional series round. Uh, The O's will play the winner of the best of three wildcard series between the number four seeded Tampa Bay Rays and the number five seeded Texas Rangers. It is a little ridiculous that the O's and Rays, the teams that had the two best records in the American League, could meet in the divisional series round. Uh, MLB wants to emphasize division winners. I get that. Uh, But the rest of the American League did not come close to the O's and Rays in the 2023 regular season. The O's had 101 wins. The Rays had 99 wins. The next best win total was the Houston Astros and Texas Rangers, each having 90 wins. Uh, But the O's are where they are, number one in the American League. They concluded their 2023 regular season by splitting a four-game series with the Boston Red Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Last Thursday evening, the glorious 2-0 win that clinched the O's winning the American League East and being the number one seed in the American League playoffs. Friday night, a 3-0 loss prior to which the O's... (laughs) changed their lineup as catcher Adley Rutschman and third baseman Ramon Arias were scratched from the lineup due to being under the weather, according to the team. Yeah, under the weather, as in hungover. (laughs) Uh, Saturday night, a 5-2 win, despite the O's getting out hit by the Red Sox 14-7. 14-7. The O's in this game got doubled up in terms of hits and yet won the game 5-2. Uh, the O's starting pitcher in this game, Kyle Gibson, tossed five scoreless innings despite giving up seven hits, a triple, and six singles. He had four strikeouts versus one walk. And then Sunday, a 6-1 loss in which the Orioles ace, Kyle Bradish pitched basically a glorified bullpen session. Uh, he pitched basically just to get some work and he went for Just two innings, uh, but they were two scoreless innings with five strikeouts versus one walk. Kyle Bradish finished the 2023 regular season number four among all qualified pitchers in the majors in ERA at 2.83. Outstanding. But the most notable starting pitching occurrence for the postseason-bound O's over the weekend to me was what happened in the 3-0 loss to the Red Sox on Friday night. John Means was good. Uh, He allowed two runs in six into third innings. He had four strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up just three hits, a two-run homer, a double, and a single. He threw 82 pitches, 58 strikes versus 34 balls. So Means has made four major league regular season starts since the O's on September 12th announced that they had reinstated him from the 60-day injured list off him having undergone Tommy John surgery on his left elbow all the way back on April 27th, 2022. Means over these four starts, ERA of 266, a whip of 0.72. Yeah, I'd say that he deserves uh, a spot in the Orioles postseason rotation. Also, we on Saturday learned of some awards with the O's. Uh, Infielder Gunnar Henderson on Saturday morning was named the winner of the 2023 Lewis M. Hatter Most Valuable Oriole Award, which is voted on by members of the media. A fourth Orioles rookie to win the award, joining catcher Adley Rutschman in 2022, starting pitcher Rodrigo Lopez in 2002, and closer Greg Olson in 1989. Lou Hatter, in case you don't know, was a guy who covered the O's for the Baltimore Sun for 27 years. Additionally, the O's on Saturday morning announced their 2023 Player Development and Scouting Awards, including shortstop Jackson Holiday. 
as the organization's Brooks Robinson Minor League Player of the Year and starter Chase McDermott as the organization's Jim Palmer Minor League Pitcher of the Year. So Jackson Holiday, the O's took him with the number one overall pick in the 2022 MLB draft out of a high school in Oklahoma. He, this season, his age 19 season, played at four levels of the Orioles minor league system. He played for the low A Delmarva Shorebirds, the high A Aberdeen Ironbirds, the double A Bowie Bay Sox, and the triple A Norfolk Tides. Holiday, this season, over those four levels of the Orioles minor league system, totaled 581 plate appearances and an OPS of 941. He, per MLB Pipeline, is the number one prospect in baseball. And by the way, the Norfolk Tides, uh, they on Thursday night won their sixth International League Championship in franchise history, their first since 1985 to advance to the AAA Championship. And then the Tides on Saturday night beat the Oklahoma City Dodgers 7-6 at Las Vegas Ballpark to win the Tides' second AAA title in franchise history. Uh, And as for the Orioles' minor league pitcher of the year, Chase McDermott, he this season, his age 24 season, pitched for the AA Bowie Bay Sox and the AAA Norfolk Tides. He, over those two levels, appeared in 26 games with 22 starts, had an ERA of 310, a whip of 1.151, and a strikeouts per nine innings of 11.5. Oh, by the way, (laughs) how did the O's get Chase McDermott? Well, they got him via their trade of outfielder slash first baseman Trey Mancini to the Houston Astros in a three-way trade that uh, also included the Tampa Bay Rays on August 1st, 2022. A trade for which the O's got criticized by some for being sellers in a season in which the O's were in playoff contention. Uh, yeah, the O's in the lead up to the 2022 MLB trade deadline traded Mancini to the Astros and traded closer Jorge Lopez to the Minnesota Twins. Neither guy played well for his then new team. Each guy now has been on multiple teams since being with the O's. Uh, each guy this season has gotten designated for assignment. Mancini by the Chicago Cubs, Lopez by the O's this past Saturday. The O's this past September 2nd claimed Lopez off waivers from the Miami Marlins, got him back, and now have DFA'd him. And the O's via these trades of Mancini and Lopez got reliever Yanir Cano from the Twins and got starting pitcher Chase McDermott from the Astros. Cano was an all-star this season, and McDermott now has been named the Orioles minor league pitcher of the year. The uh, <laughs> the geniuses in the media who criticized O's executive vice president and general manager Mike Elias for trading Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez, these people should write Mike letters of apology because the criticism was very much out there in August of 2022. But those letters of apology now need to be written, preferably in cursive, okay? Do they even still teach cursive in school? I don't even know. My son just started kindergarten, so I guess I'll find out. Uh, Now, not all of the Orioles news over the weekend was good. Mike Elias, in a session with reporters on Saturday afternoon, did reveal that the Orioles' ace reliever, Felix Batista, will be undergoing Tommy John surgery. Uh, This is not a shocker, but this is really disappointing, really unfortunate. The O's on August 26th announced that they had placed Batista on the 15-day injured list with a right UCL injury, and sure enough, he does need 
Tommy John surgery, and he is expected to miss all of next season. Uh, real shame. Uh, Batista was having some season. You know, he at the time of going on the 15-day injured list was number 10 among all American League pitchers in wins above replacement war for baseball reference for the 2023 regular season at 3.1 and was number one among all qualified American League pitchers in win probability at WPA for baseball reference for the 2023 regular season at 4.5. And his absence has been a leading reason uh, to have concerns about the Orioles' bullpen going into the postseason. Uh, manager Brandon Hyde, since Batista went on the 15-day injured list, has used multiple relievers to close out games, including Yadier Cano and Sino Perez. Uh, Michael Elias on Saturday afternoon did also say that the O's have agreed with Batista on guaranteed contracts for the 2024 and 2025 seasons. He is under team control through the 2027 season. This was some of what Michael Elias had to say. He should be back to being Felix Bautista in spring training 2025. Um, so we'll be in good shape there. Um, Long term, he's going to get through this. Um, he's got very good health and work ethic otherwise, but obviously we're going to miss the hell out of the guy. Um, unfortunately, this has become part of our game, especially for the more elite pitchers. And, um, you know, it is what it is. And we're rallying around uh, him and the group. And, um, you know, he's going to be with us for the playoffs. Um, he's a huge part of our clubhouse, so it'll be nice having him there. Um, on a little bit brighter note, we've also come to terms with him on um, financial terms for 2024 and 2025 on a guaranteed contract, so it'll take care of his first year what would have been arbitration. Um, so basically, his, uh, his um, compensation is, is set in a guaranteed contract for the next two seasons. So I think that's great because he can uh, just concentrate on his rehab and getting back on the field. We won't have any business to attend to during that time. Um, we kind of did something similar with John Means, and uh, I'm very happy for Felix and for us that that's, that's out of the way. He's a really tough dude. He's been through a lot in his life. Where he came from, um, you know, 10 years in the minors, coming out of nowhere. Um, the news when it happened and the day after it happened, you know, we had a brief glimmer of hope that it wouldn't be torn. Um, and, uh, you know, when we got the MRI results and heard from the doctors, it was really disappointing for everyone there. Um, but he, you know, credit to him, he got over it quickly and got back to work and immediately started focusing on the future. So, He's doing, he's doing awesome now. Um, like I said, this is unfortunately something that, that we all live with in, in baseball. And, um, you know, just bad timing for him and the team. But it's just temporary. Uh, thank goodness, you know, we have this surgery to, to uh, fix this injury. Um, and so it's just become basically a matter of time and some hard work. And, and you're back. You see what Means is doing. Yes, we do. Uh, So certainly hope for the best with Felix Batista. Another thing with the O's over the last few days. So it was during the win over the Red Sox this past Thursday night that we learned that the O's, the state of Maryland, Maryland Governor Westmore and the Maryland Stadium Authority had agreed on a deal that would allow the O's to continue to play at Oriole Park at Camden Yards for at least the next 30 years. The current lease was set to expire on December 31st. Well, we on Friday morning came to find out that what is in place actually is a memorandum of understanding, not an actual signed lease extension. Uh, This memorandum is a non 
binding agreement. Now, it does still very much appear as if a lease extension will be signed. Uh, but, you know, this news that came out on Friday morning did take a bit of the steam out of that big announcement on Thursday night. But right now, it is full steam ahead for the O's in the postseason. And I'm going to be doing a lot more on the O's in the coming days here. Remember, this podcast, the only Washington, D.C. area sports podcast or show that regularly talks O's, that understands that there still are many O's fans in the Washington, D.C. area. And what a season the O's have had and uh, hopefully will continue to have. Well, if you are trying to go to an Orioles playoff game this October, uh, know that you can get great deals on tickets by downloading the GameTime app and using the promo code Al Galdi. When it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the GameTime app. GameTime offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee. So you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The GameTime guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about GameTime is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on GameTime looking at tickets for Commander's Games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. GameTime is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. GameTime is the app For last-minute ticket deals, you don't have to plan months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. GameTime also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with GameTime, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use this promo code. Al Galdi. You use that promo code Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the Game Time app, create that account, and use the promo code Al Galdi for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's Game Time. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Well, next season, I believe, is a big season for the Nationals. Uh, This season marked the Nats being bad for a fourth consecutive season, 2020 through 2023. The Nats' current rebuild started with their fire sale prior to the 2021 MLB trade deadline. So next season will be season number four of the rebuild. It still is too early to say whether the rebuild is working, but... The Nats this season did have signs that the rebuild is working, and the Nats by next season should have an even clearer picture of if the rebuild is working. It is next season that multiple well-regarded prospects could slash should be promoted to the majors, uh, namely outfielders Dylan Cruz and James Wood and third baseman Brady House. It is next season that the Nats' top pitching prospect, Cade Cavalli, should be back 
from Tommy John surgery that he underwent this past March. It is next season that potential Nats building blocks already at the major league level. Starting pitchers Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, Jake Irvin, and Jackson Rutledge. Shortstop C.J. Abrams, catcher Capet Ruiz, all hopefully will take steps forward. And it is next season that hopefully the Nats will make another jump in wins along the lines of the jump that the Nats made this season. The Nats in the 2022 regular season went a major league worst 55 and 107. The Nats in the 2023 regular season went 71 and 91. Uh, now that is tied with the St. Louis Cardinals for the second worst record in the National League, but a 16 win improvement from last season. And the Nats over the weekend concluded their season by winning two of three games at the major league leading Atlanta Braves. Friday night, a 10-6 win. Saturday night, a 5-3 loss. But Sunday, a wild 10-9 win in which the Nats blew a 5-2 third inning lead, then overcame a 7-5 eighth inning deficit, and then overcame an 8-7 ninth inning deficit. The boys, they battled. I'm proud of the boys. Yeah, Nats manager Davey Martinez, don't say that his boys quit. Uh, They most certainly did not quit. Uh, The Nats in this 10-9 win on Sunday hit like crazy. 10 runs, 15 hits, 6 walks, 8 for 20 with runners in scoring position. Uh, The Nats offense in this series was something. That 10-6 win at the Braves on Friday night, the Nats out-homered the Braves 5-0. Understand, the Nats came into that game with the National League worst 146 home runs in the 2023 regular season. The Braves came into the game with a Major League best 304 home runs in the 2023 regular season. And yet the Nats out-homered the Braves 5-0. The 5-3 loss at the Braves on Saturday night. The Nats scored three runs in the top of the first, but did then get shut out the rest of the game. But then the 10-9 win at the Braves on Sunday. The Nats had this, like, offensive eruption. Uh, We in this series had multiple key Nats ending their 2023 seasons in nice ways. C.J. Abrams, uh, he was the Nats starting shortstop and number one batter in each of the three games in the series. He, over the three games, went a combined four for 16 with a double and three singles. And he went three for three on stolen bases, breaking Trey Turner's record for most stolen bases by a Nats player in a regular season since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason. Trey, in the 2017 regular season, had 46 stolen bases. CJ, in the 2023 regular season, had 47 stolen bases, including two in the 10-9 win on Sunday. Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday evening on CJ Abrams. He's been getting better and better every day, and um, you know, I hope I hope he understands what kind of player he really truly could be, because um, he, he could be an impact player moving forward. So, um, I love his energy. At, you know, at the last few months, um, he's been he's done everything we've asked him to do. So, um, I just talked to him before you know before you guys got in, and I, and I told him I'm very proud of what he did. I'm very proud of how he turned himself around, um, and now we got to keep moving forward. And and he, he totally agreed. And he should. Uh, also, K. Bear Ruiz, he was an at starting catcher in each of the first two games of the series. He was an at starting DH in game three of the series. He was an at number four batter in games one and three of the series. He was an at number three batter in game two of the series. K. Bear, over the three games, went a combined seven for 15 with a home run, two doubles, four singles, five RBI, 
and five runs. K Baird for the 2023 regular season was tied with CJ Abrams for number two on the Nats in home runs with 18, and it was number three among all qualified Nats in OPS at 717. He did not have a good defensive season, uh, but offensively, especially for a catcher, he did do some good things. Still needs to be better as a batter, uh, but did end up doing some good things. And Lane Thomas, he very much did some good things this season. He was an ad starting right fielder and number two batter in each of the three games of the series. He, over the three games, went a combined five for 16 with a home run, a double, and three singles. Did go 0 for 1 on stolen bases, but Lane, for the 2023 regular season, was number one on the Nats in home runs with 28 and was number one among all qualified Nats players in OPS at 783. Uh, the Nats starting pitcher in the 10-9 win at the Braves on Sunday was Jackson Rutledge. Uh, he did struggle. He allowed five runs in five innings. He gave up five hits, a three-run homer, a double, and three singles. He issued two walks and two hit-by-pitches. He recorded four strikeouts. Uh, he over his five innings threw 92 pitches, 58 strikes, versus 34 balls. Rutledge in a three-run third for the Braves issued a leadoff walk of Ozzie Albies, issued a one-out hit-by-pitch of Nicky Lopez, and then gave up a one-out three-run opposite field home run by Marcelo Zuna to right center field to tie the game at five. That homer went a projected 432 feet for StatCast. Uh, the Nats on September 13th announced that they had recalled Rutledge from AAA Rochester. He and his first Major League regular season stint uh, was good in two starts and was not good in two starts. Going to be interesting to see if he begins next season in the majors or with Rochester. Uh, the Nats took Rutledge with the number 17 overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of San Jacinto College, a public community college in Texas. This season was his age 24 season. It took him a while to get to the majors due to injury and ineffectiveness. Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday evening on Jackson Rutledge. Yeah, hey, when he throws strikes, he can compete. And that's the biggest thing. And he's, he, he actually said it to me when I took him out of the game. He says, I, I just got I just got to be con- have some conviction and throw the, ball, throw the ball over the plate. And I said, hey, if you can do that, I mean, you could pitch here and help us for a long time. So, um, your stuff is good, you know, and you know, and, and, and but you got to attack the strike zone. Um, but you know, the way he finished off, finished off, uh, got some big outs for us the last inning. Um, that was impressive. So we got to build from that. Yes, you do. Uh, the five-three loss at the Braves on Saturday night. Yohan Adone uh, lasted for just four innings. He allowed three runs in four innings. He gave up six hits, two doubles, and four singles. He issued two walks. He did have five strikeouts, but he over his four innings threw 88 pitches, 55 strikes versus 33 balls. Adone in the 2023 regular season at the major league level appeared in 12 games with 10 starts, registered an ERA of 645 and a whip of 163. He did twice flirt with throwing a no-hitter, but he, beyond those two starts and another good start, uh, was not good. Uh, this season was his age 24 season. The Nats signed to Doan as an amateur free agent out of the Dominican Republic in July 2016. He, over the last two seasons now, has had ample opportunity to assert himself at the major league level, but has not done so. Uh, Adone in the 2022 regular season at the major league level, 14 starts, ERA of 710, a whip of 178. Uh, the 10-6 win at the Braves on Friday night. Trevor Williams was an ad starting pitcher, but he lasted for just three and a third innings. He allowed two runs in the three and a third innings. He gave up seven hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks and a hit by pitch. Did have four strikeouts, but he overs three and a third innings through 75 pitches, 43 strikes versus 32 balls. And so Trevor Williams capped a steep decline 
uh, to his first season with the Nats. The Nats this past December signed Williams as a free agent to a two-year, $13 million contract. This season was his age 31 season. He, in the 2023 regular season, totaled 144 and a third innings over 30 games. Think about that innings count over 30 games, all of which were starts. Uh, that is not a lot of innings over 30 starts. And uh, a reason for that is he had an ERA of 555 and a whip of 160. But to break that down, Williams over his first 11 starts of the 2023 regular season had an ERA of 393. But he then over his final 19 starts had an ERA of 655. He came to the Nats having been both a starter and a reliever. He did seem to get exposed in making so many starts this season. Uh, Speaking of relievers, uh, the Nats bullpen, it was on fumes as this season went on. And boy, did we see that in this three-game series at the Braves to conclude the Nats 2023 season. Nats relievers over these three games combined to allow 10 runs in 13 and two-thirds innings. The 10-9 win at the Braves on Sunday, four Nats relievers combined to allow four runs in four innings, and included in that mix was the Nats' top two relievers this season, each giving up a run. Hunter Harvey in the bottom of the eighth allowed a run on a double and a single, and Kyle Finnegan in the bottom of the ninth allowed a run on a one-out solo homer by Marcelo Zuna to cut the Nats' lead to 10-9. This was the Nats' major league worst 94th relief pitching home run allowed in the 2023 regular season. And Finnegan then gave up a double. Kyle Finnegan ended up allowing at least one earned run in 10 of his final 16 appearances this season. The 5-3 loss at the Braves on Saturday night. Five Nats relievers officially combined to allow two runs in four innings, although Jordan Weems in a Braves four-run fifth gave up a one-out three-run homer by Marcelo Zuna uh, on a moonshot to center field for a 5-3 Braves lead. That homer went a projected 432 feet per stat cast. But also in that game was the 2023 Major League regular season debut of Nats reliever Tanner Rainey. It was good to see this. Uh, The Nats on Friday afternoon announced that they had reinstated Rainey from the 60-day injured list, which he'd been on since opening day March 30th due to Tommy John surgery that he underwent on August 3rd, 2022. The idea had been that he was going to be brought back up to the majors for the entirety of the month of September, or at least for the majority of the month of September, ended up not being activated until this past Friday afternoon, only ended up appearing in one major league game in the 2023 regular season. Ready on Saturday night, tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth, uh, despite giving up an infield single and issuing a walk and a wild pitch. He threw 18 pitches, 11 strikes versus seven balls. His average four-seam fastball velocity was 96.2 miles per hour per stat cast. A healthy Tanner Rainey would help the Nats bullpen a lot in terms of uh, next season because Tanner Rainey is a strikeout pitcher and the Nats for the 2023 regular season finished dead last in the majors in relief pitching strikeouts per nine innings. That was a big problem. Uh, And then the 10-6 win on Friday night, six Nats relievers combined to allow four runs in five and two-thirds innings. The Nats' first three relievers in the game, Andres Machado, Jose A. Ferrer, and Jordan Weems, combined to allow four runs in two and a third innings. But then the Nats' last three relievers in the game, Joe Lasorsa, Hunter Harvey, and Kyle Finnegan, combined for three and a third scoreless innings. Uh, Also with the Nats' 
from the last few days. Uh, the man to me who is the best reliever for the Nats since the franchise moved to D.C., Tyler Clifford. Uh, he, this past Thursday via Instagram, announced his retirement, and uh, this really gained traction on Friday. Tyler Clifford pitched for the Nats from 2008 through 2014, and then briefly in 2022. He over two stints with the Nats in 469 regular season innings, had an ERA of 272, and a whip of 1.058. I mean, just terrific. No Nats pitcher since the franchise moved to D.C., has appeared in more regular season games than Tyler Clippert has, 418. Uh, He had not pitched in a game uh, since his time with the Nats last season. Now, regarding the bigger picture of the Nats rebuild, him retiring just highlights something that I really do hope is about to end, and that is the frequency with which the Nats in these rebuilding years have had players who ended up retiring. Nats players from the last four seasons, 2020 through 2023, who have retired with the Nats being those players' last team. Starting pitcher Anibal Sanchez, first baseman slash DH Ryan Zimmerman, outfielder Gerardo Parra, a.k.a. the Baby Shark, uh, catcher Alex Avila, infielder Jordy Mercer, relievers Tyler Clippard, Sean Doolittle, Steve Ciszek, and Will Harris, and almost certainly soon, starting pitcher Steven Strasburg. And note, I'm not even including guys who were on the Nats in recent years, but now are not playing in the majors. People like shortstop Alcides Escobar, and infielder Cesar Hernandez, and Michael Franco, and starting pitcher Eric Fetty. Uh, a lot of uh, older players slash fading players for the Nats in recent years. Remember, the Nats won the 2019 World Series as the oldest team in the majors. That was a fun distinction, uh, but that also turned out to be a telling distinction. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, few things in life go together as well as pizza and an NFL game day. Make Little Caesars part of your NFL game day. Little Caesars is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL. Order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, which is one hour before NFL games. You can pick your favorite Little Caesars pizza. You can pick the toppings that you crave, kind of like Picking players for your fantasy team only with Little Caesars Pizza, you never lose. And Little Caesars offers convenient delivery as well as the in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour of the week. Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before NFL games. Little Caesars Pizza Pizza. 
And time now to talk college football week five, which included three teams of the mid-Atlantic region, Virginia, Navy, and Old Dominion, each blowing a significant first half lead in a loss on Saturday. But we begin with Maryland, which still (laughs) is not ranked. Uh, The Terrapins in the Associated Press Top 25 poll that came out on Sunday are number 26. They are first among others receiving votes. Uh, The Terps should be ranked. Uh, The Terps improved to 5-0 overall and and 2-0 in the Big Ten with a 44-17 win over Indiana at CQ Stadium in College Park, Maryland on Saturday. Maryland is off to a 5-0 start to a season for the first time since 2001 which was Ralph Regan's first season as Terps head coach. Also, Maryland now has scored at least 30 points in each of its first five games of a season for the first time in program history. This is a good team. Maryland for this season is number 20 in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN. The Terps in this round of Indiana led at the end of the first quarter 21-3, led at the end of the third quarter 37-3. Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, a monster game. He went 24-34 for 352 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took one sack. He had two true carries for 22 yards, including a first quarter second and eight 19-yard shotgun read option touchdown run. And he quarterbacked a Maryland offense that went five of 11 on third downs. Consider this, Talia became the first Terps player to have at least five touchdown passes in a game since Scott Milanovic in November 1994. Now think about that for a moment. A quarterback having at least five touchdown passes in a game happens a lot in college football, right? And yet Maryland had not had that since November 1994. Says so much about the quarterback issues that the Terps have had for years. Uh, Also, Talia became the first Terps player to have at least 9,000 career passing yards. Uh, Talia Tungavailoa for this season is number 26 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS and ESPN's total QBR at 76. Uh, Two Terps receivers in this blowout of Indiana had big games. Receiver Ty Felton uh, a man who went to Stonebridge High School in Ashburn, Virginia. He finished with seven receptions for 134 yards and three touchdowns. Felton became the first player in Maryland football history to have at least three receiving touchdowns in the first half of a game. And Felton became the first Terps player to have at least three receiving touchdowns in a game since receiver Torrey Smith in November 2010. Also receiver Jay Sean Jones. Uh, he had six receptions for 121 yards to eclipse 1,000 500 career receiving yards. Uh, The Terps rushing offense was good. Running backs Roman Hemby and Antoine Littleton II combined for 19 carries for 106 yards. Littleton had five carries for 52 yards. And the Terps defense was great. It held Indiana to just 17 points, just 4.12 yards per play and just five of 17 on third downs. Now, (laughs) next up for Maryland, a massive test at number four, Ohio State this Saturday at noon. Here was Terps head coach Mike Loxley during his post-game press conference on Saturday evening off this smash job of Indiana. 
Yeah, it was, it's a momentum game. Going into it, you know what? Not one person this week said a word about who we play this week. Now, that, Ohio State didn't come up one time this week. And to me, that shows the maturity, I think, of this team because, as we always try to say, they're faceless and nameless. Uh, this was a, op, a, a great opportunity to cre create some momentum and have confidence going into a tough place to play against a really talented team. Um, but you know what? I, I think this team is just young and dumb enough to show up and play like they're capable of playing, and we see what happens. Yes, we do. Uh, we also saw what happened with Virginia Tech. Terrific win for the Hokies on Saturday night. A much-needed win for the Hokies on Saturday night. Tech improved to 2-3 and three overall and 1-0 and oh in the ACC with a 38-21 win over Pitt at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on Saturday night. The win snapped a nine-game losing streak for the Hokies against Power 5 conference teams. The Hokies offense, very good. Now look, Pitt is not good, but Tech, which has not been good on offense for multiple seasons now, scored 38 points, generated 427 total net yards of offense, averaged a whopping 12 yards per pass attempt, averaged 4.3 yards per carry on runs by running backs and receivers, and went 8 of 16 on third downs. Good offense by Tech in this game on Saturday night. And leading the way for the offense was Kyron Drones. The Hokies went with the Baylor transfer, Kyron Drones, as a team's starting quarterback for a third consecutive game. As the Hokies QB1, Grant Wells, has been dealing with an ankle injury. Although you wonder if he is still the QB1. But Drones on Saturday night accounted for five touchdowns. Drones as a passer was great. He went 12 of 19 for 228 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took two sacks. His first touchdown pass of the game, a first quarter, second and 12, 54-yard shotgun play action touchdown bomb to receiver and Norfolk State transfer Daquan Felton on a gorgeous throw. Uh, Drones as a runner had 19 carries for just 55 yards, even when you take out the two sacks that he took. But his rushing stats really got skewed by one terrible play, a third quarter, second and 10 shotgun sprint out play on which he lost the ball while attempting to throw. And what was ruled a lost fumble was returned for four yards for a touchdown. The play actually went down as a rush for minus 21 yards. That will skew uh, your rushing stats. But Drones also had two rushing touchdowns, an early second quarter, third and goal, two-yard shotgun read option touchdown run, and a third quarter, third and goal, 10-yard shotgun quarterback draw touchdown run on which he plowed through multiple attempted tackles. Now, Drones did then get hit with a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty as the Hokies for the game did have 10 accepted penalties for 91 yards. But this was Hokies head coach Brent Pry during his post-game press conference on Saturday night on Kyron Drones. Kyron's style of play and the way he runs the ball and the passion he plays with and the effort he gives, I think uh, he's earning a lot of respect with our football team. Yeah, again, is Grant Wells still Tech's QB1? Uh, you got to wonder. Also in this win over Pitt, a terrific game for Hokies running back and North Carolina A&T transfer, Bashal Tootin. Uh, you're done, Tootin. Bashal Tootin uh, was producing 24 carries for 109 yards and four receptions for 30, 70 yards 
and a touchdown. And also with the Hokies offense was this. So they remained without receiver and Old Dominion transfer Ollie Jennings, who suffered an injury in the Hokies' 24-17 loss to Purdue uh, in Blacksburg on September 9th. Uh, but Jennings was on the sideline for this game. He was on crutches, and Brent Pride during his postgame press conference said that there is an outside chance that Jennings could play again this season. Uh, And Tech's defense in this win over Pitt was mostly good. Tech held Pitt to just 21 points and just two of 10 on third downs and generated four sacks, including a sack strip, lost fumble, and Tech's run defense was good for the first time in five games in this season. Hallelujah on that. Tech's run defense had been horrendous, but Tech did allow for two one-play scoring drives by Pitt. Uh, Those drives resulted in touchdown passes of 75 and 61 yards by quarterback and Boston College transfer Phil Jerkovic. Uh, The 75-yarder was a bomb. The 61-yarder was a running back screen. Next up for Virginia Tech at number five, Florida State, this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. So Maryland and Virginia Tech each has a road game against a top five team this coming Saturday afternoon. Not a top five team is Virginia. Uh, The Cavaliers fell to 0-5 overall and 0-2 in the ACC with a 27-24 loss at Boston College on Saturday afternoon. The Cavs have their first 0-5 start to a season since 1982, and they have yet another loss in which they blew a big lead. Uh, The Cavs in this game blew a 14-0 second quarter lead and blew a 21-7 halftime lead. They lost the second half 23. The Cavs in their 36-35 loss to James Madison at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, Virginia on September 9th overcame a 14-0 first quarter deficit but blew a 35-24 fourth quarter lead. Uh, The Cavs in their 42-14 loss at Maryland on September 15th blew a 14-0 first quarter lead. And now the Cavs in this 27-24 loss at Boston College on Saturday afternoon blew a 14-0 second quarter lead and a 21-7 halftime lead. The Cavs lost despite winning the turnover battle 4-1. Why? Uh, Well, one reason was penalties. The Cavs had 11 accepted penalties for 90 yards. Boston College had five accepted penalties for 36 yards. This has been an undisciplined Virginia team so far this season. Uh, Monmouth transfer, Tony Musket. He was the Cavs starting quarterback. He returned from a three-game absence off suffering an injured left shoulder in the team's season opener, the uh, 49-13 loss to then number 12, Tennessee, at Nissan Stadium in Nashville on September 2nd. Musket had a good first half, but a not-so-good second half. Uh, Musket in the first half, 16 of 21 for 218 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. He did take three sacks and did quarterback a UVA offense that went just to two of six on third downs. But the final snap of the first half, a second and 16 39-yard shotgun touchdown bomb by Musket to receiver Malachi Fields on a Hail Mary pass in the midst of a collapsing pocket. Really good play by Musket, but Musket in the second half went just 6-13 of for just 29 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. Took two sacks and quarterback to UVA offense that went just 1-6 of on third downs. Uh, Cavs receiver and Northwestern transfer Malik Washington did have a fourth consecutive good game. He finished with nine receptions for 97 yards and a touchdown on 12 targets. But the Wahoos running game was not good. Uh, Who's running backs? Kobe Pace, Mike Hollins, and Paris Jones combined for 15 carries for just 50 yards. So that works out to a yards per carry of just 
3.33. Hollins did have a five-yard touchdown reception in the first quarter. Uh, the Who's defense, it was good in the first, second, and fourth quarters, but got shredded in a third quarter that the Who's lost 17-0. The Who's in the third quarter allowed Boston College to generate 176 total net yards of offense on just 23 plays. That works out to a yards per play of 7.65. The Who's over the first, second, and fourth quarters held Boston College to just 210 total net yards of offense on 50 plays. That works out to a yards per play of just 4.2. And there's also this. UVA head coach Tony Elliott during his postgame press conference revealed that edge defender Cam Butler, who did not play in this game due to injury, is in fact out for the rest of the season. This is a significant loss. Butler was one of five UVA players featured on the 2024 Senior Bowl watch list. Uh, Brutal loss for the Hoos, especially given how bad Boston College had been this season. This was Elliott during his postgame press conference on Saturday. You know, my heart hurts for the guys in the locker room because they've they've battled through a lot to get to this point, and and you see them having success. And uh, I got to do a better job as a coach, uh, along with the staff of 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 helping them to make the transition to to understand that when you have success man you can't take your foot off the gas you can't become complacent uh, every play uh, every drive uh, until the game's over you got to be, be looking at how can I get better you know how can I improve you know how can I uh, rely on my fundamentals uh, even more uh, and, and I think that's you know where where I got to grow this football team up um, is, is helping them to, to understand man you know you don't you don't press you don't change, man. You just focus more on the little things. Uh, where, 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 do I, where does my second step need to go? Where does my hand placement need to go? What's my communication? And I think sometimes when you're having success, it's easy to let those things go, and then you think that hey, it's just going to happen, uh, and then it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't happen. Uh, just uh, you know what I told them is we're learning some very hard lessons as a as a football program. Uh, that football, man, it's a, it's a hard game, and it only gives you what you earn. It doesn't give you what you deserve. It just it gives you what you earn. And if you have 11 penalties and you don't you don't execute, then you're going to get uh, what you earn. And, and unfortunately, uh, when you have those things, typically uh, that earns you a, a, a loss. That is true, and there have been nothing but losses for the Hoos this season. 0-5. Next up for Virginia, home to William & Mary this Saturday at noon. And William & Mary's head coach is former Virginia head coach Mike London. Uh, Also blowing a big lead in a loss on Saturday was Navy. The midshipmen fell to 1-3 overall and 0-2 in the American Athletic Conference with a 44-30 loss to South Florida at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland on Saturday. The mids blew a 14-0 first quarter lead as they got outscored the rest of the game 44-16. Now, Navy's defense in facing one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the FBS in South Florida's Byron Brown actually did a great job with him as a runner. He officially finished the game with minus 27 rushing yards, thanks to Navy totaling four sacks and allowing his longest run to be for just five yards. But Navy got shredded by Brown as a passer. The mids allowed him to go 26-34 for 338 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. Uh, Navy head coach Brian Newberry, for a third consecutive game, went into the game with a plan to play two quarterbacks and starter Ty Lovatai and backup Blake Horvath. I'm not a big fan of this uh, two-quarterback approach that Newberry's going with. Lovatai went just one of five passing for 70 yards, no touchdowns, and no interceptions, and took a sack, although he did have two touchdown runs. Uh, Horvath 
went 4-6 passing for 83 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions, and took no sacks. He also had 10 carries for 52 yards, but... He, on the first snap of the fourth quarter, was part of a botched exchange with center Brent Self on a quarterback sneak on a third and one at the South Florida 28, resulting in a 70-yard fumble return for a touchdown by South Florida edge defender Tramel Logan. Uh, Brent Self was Navy center due to starting center and team captain Lirion Mertesi being out for the season due to a back injury. Uh, Navy's rushing offense was good, though. The mids officially totaled 48 carries for 240 yards and two touchdowns, but Navy had multiple special teams problems. The mids had a botched late second quarter extra point attempt that resulted in South Florida linebacker Jalen Schuler returning the ball to the Navy end zone for two points. Uh, the snap on the play was by Navy's backup long snapper, Rain Fry, as the mid-starting long snapper, Cole Williams, got injured in the game. Uh, also, Navy Raider Nazir Rogers. Uh, a Raider is a combo linebacker defensive lineman. Navy Raider Nazir Rogers committed a fourth quarter 15-yard roughing the kicker penalty, negating a South Florida three and out. And Navy kicker Nathan Kirkwood went one of two on field goals. He made a third quarter 44-yard field goal, but missed a fourth quarter 44-yard field goal attempt. Uh, not a good special teams game for the mids. Next up for Navy, home to North Texas this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. James Madison, the Dukes, uh, they improved a 5-0 overall and 2-0 in the Sunbelt Conference with a 31-23 win over South Alabama at Bridgeport Stadium in Harrisonburg, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. JMU quarterback Jordan McLeod completed just 12 of his 22 pass attempts, but he threw for 241 yards and three touchdowns. Did throw an interception, but also had eight carries for 71 yards when you don't include the two sacks that he took. McLeod's three touchdown passes were of 48, 44, and 66 yards. Uh, now, the game did get a bit too close for comfort for the Dukes. Uh, JMU allowed a 31-10 fourth quarter lead to get trimmed to 31-23, but the Dukes defense came up big on a late fourth quarter South Alabama drive that resulted in an interception. Next up for James Madison, home to Georgia Southern, but not until Saturday, October 14th. And then the third FBS team of the mid-Atlantic region to blow a significant first half lead at a loss on Saturday, Old Dominion. Uh, it fell to 2-3 and three overall and 1-1 one and one in the Sunbelt Conference with a 41-35 loss at Marshall on Saturday. The Monarchs blew a 21-3 second quarter lead. Uh, ODU head coach Ricky Ronnie off-benching starting quarterback Grant Wilson in the second quarter of the Monarchs' 10-9 home win over Texas A&M University Commerce the previous Saturday, September 23rd. Did start Jack Shields at quarterback, but Shields went just 11 of 23 for just 95 yards, a touchdown, and three interceptions, although he did have a third and six, 66-yard touchdown run on the third offensive snap of the game. Also, ODU got a tremendous performance from running back Kadarius Callaway, a junior college transfer. Callaway had 11 carries for 200 36 yards and three touchdowns, and he had one reception for five yards, but the 236 rushing yards, the second most rushing yards by an ODU player in a game ever. Uh, next up for Old Dominion at Southern Miss this Saturday night at 7. And that will do it. 
for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 669. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders as we on Monday expect to have the day after the game press conference of head coach Rod Rivera off the Commanders falling to 2-2 two and two in the 2023 regular season with the 34-31 overtime loss at the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday afternoon. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Just a little thing, just a couple more little, a little more details that, that we have to be a little more good with.